0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hello, everybody! Welcome back to Victory Drive Podcast, and thank you so much for clicking on this episode and gracing me with your presence for the next two hours. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate all the support. And you're gonna like this one. This is a really good episode I did with Mark Ozgeist. He is one of the co-founders of Go Safe, and it's a really, really interesting product in the gun community. It's not a flashy product of you know like like a new like a new loophole scope or a new trigger for your rifle or your handgun or wherever, and it's not like a, a suppressor or anything cool. Really cool like that, but it is cool in the fact that it is built for gun safety. It's a safe that goes in your gun. Really cool product. You guys need to check it out, and that we talk about that. But Mark Osgeist is also – he's a Marine Corps veteran. He was in the Marine Corps for quite a while. But what you guys might know that name from even more so is – I guess what he's more famous for is the fact that he was a contractor – uh, helping guard the embassy in Benghazi when it was attacked. And that, I'm sure you guys have heard that whole story and all the political ramifications of that attack on the embassy, on the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi. And he was there. And he co-authored the book, 13 Hours. And it's a very, very interesting book about uh, a very pivotal, pivotal attack in American history and... It really let a lot of things come to light that were, uh, that the government just was not set up for. It was just uh, a fail on the government, on the U.S. government's part on why it ended up the way it was and what happened, happened. But he was there. He was one of the guys on the ground and he co authored that book. And it was such a good book that they made a movie about it. It's got John Krasinski in it, it's got, uh, that. Guy from the unit, what the fuck is his name? Max Martini is the guy that I'm thinking of. That's who played as Mark Osgeist, and man, he's an awesome, awesome actor. If you guys haven't seen the movie, it's fucking awesome. You need to check it out. It is a It's a very, very important story in American history, and he was part of it. And um, yeah, we talked about you know all his background and that. We talked about that for a little while, and then we also talked about. We ended up on talking about God and Christianity and uh, our faith and how that's helped us through a lot of things. And it's just a very, really, really good episode, really good, solid, wholesome episode that I had with Mark. And I really do appreciate Mark coming on and, um, I guess, opening up and sharing with us his experiences and his faith and what he's been doing and what he's up to and why Go Safe is such an important part of his life now. And why he feels so passionately about the product itself. And yeah, I don't know. You guys are going to love it. I think you're, I, I I think it was great. I think it went great. And he's an easy guy to talk to and has just a fucking awesome story behind him too. Um, but also we got to talk about grizzly coolers. You guys know what's coming. They are a huge supporter of the podcast. They are such big supporters of the podcast at, as a matter of fact, that they wanted to be the title sponsor of Victory Drive for some reason, and for that reason, I don't really know, besides the fact that um, Kurt and Working Class Bull Hunter podcast vouches for this podcast because it's part of the Working Class family. And I appreciate that. I appreciate Grizzly stepping up and helping out the podcast and helping out and just believing in what we're doing here. So if you guys... Do love the podcast? Go out there and check out Grizzly Coolers. They support the podcast. They love everything that is for. They love everything about the outdoors and the outdoors community, and they really care about you guys in the end consumer result. And they make badass fucking American-made Iowa-made coolers. All right, the hard side coolers are a hundred percent American-made in Decorah, Iowa. It's a they make fucking great shit. It's really all there is to say about it. It's good shit. You guys should check them out. And uh, if when you are out there perusing on the website, looking at their hard side coolers, and figuring out, like, oh, what do I need today? Do I need the the Grizzly one hundred and sixty five, or maybe I need the Grizzly four hundred because I want to put like two whole fucking elk in there for some reason? Because I want to go. I am going to go out to Colorado or Wyoming. I am going to shoot two elk with me and my buddy. And where you need somewhere to put all these elk? So we got the Grizzly four hundred. And we're going to put all them, all that beautiful, delicious, deep red elk meat in that Grizzly 400 and bring it home safely and feed it to our families. If you guys are looking at that and you want to purchase it, then use code WCB and you get 15% off. All right? You guys are going to love them. You just got to give them a chance. All right? Give them a chance. And while you're at it, you might as well spend the extra couple bucks and go to working class bullhunter.com. Website and buy some Grizzly drinkware on the website. It's WCB logoed shit. It's awesome. Their drinkware is the shit. It's not American made, but it's still awesome. And it's a Grizzly product, and Grizzly does not put out bad shit. So go ahead and check them out. Title sponsor the show. Greatly appreciate them. And I also greatly appreciate all of you listening. You guys are the ones that keep the show on the road. And keep me motivated to put out episodes like this and talk to guys like Mark Geist. And if it wasn't for you guys listening, then we wouldn't be here doing what we're doing. And this would just be... I'd still be doing the podcast, but no one would be listening. So I appreciate—I really do appreciate all you guys listening and actually in helping make this podcast the best it can be. Right? So I would still be doing it. I'd be doing it if there's no listeners because it's just great fun. I love doing this. But... I also, it also makes, a, makes it a lot easier to put it out and makes it a lot easier to talk to interesting people like Mark Geist. So I appreciate all of you coming on and listening, just giving up a couple hours of your day every week and listening to the show. I really, really, really do appreciate it. So without further ado, welcome Mark Geist to the podcast and stay tuned for more. Peace. guys uh, on the line we got today Mark Geist uh, did I say that right is Geist right yep okay good I just want to make sure I sometimes I I read someone's names and I say it in my head but then it might not be actually how it's pronounced so but uh, Mark uh,
2: how the hell are you I'm doing good doing, doing good good, good.
1: Um, so you have a really interesting backstory we were talking a little bit before we hit record um, so why don't we go ahead for the people that don't know your name? Which, uh, you know, I wouldn't say you're. I don't know if you. I don't know if you use the word famous, but you're well known um, in certain groups of people for sure. So if you want to go ahead and give your backstory on, you know, what you've done and kind of where you're at now, if you don't mind.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in southeastern Colorado. Didn't I mean? Just a young teenager, did a lot of working on ranch work, and farming, all that kind of stuff, and uh, ended up uh, doing, I knew I was going to do one of two things. I was either going to be a cowboy on a ranch or join the military, and uh, sure enough, uh, um, that's where I ended up joining the Marine Corps. Went to boot camp uh, 10 days after high school, and kind of been on that up until September 11th, 2012 was on that, uh, on that game, on that game. I mean, I guess I still am in a sense, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I did 12 years in the Marine Corps, um, so, what, what, did a lot of different things there too.
1: I said, did you start out as an infantry in the Marine Corps or?
2: Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, okay. you know, i I mean, I was an easy sell to the to the military. You know, everybody says, you know, yeah, they got hooked into being in the infantry. I'm like, that's I, I could have went other places, and that's where I wanted to go, nice. is because I wanted just to to be. I mean, I played GI Joes when I was a kid, so that's what I wanted. I wanted to be that GI Joe with a kung fu grip, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have a but uh, my cousin, he his whole life he wanted to be a marine, and when it finally came time, he's a super super smart kid, and. Got, did really well on his ASFAB and stuff, and he went to the Marine recruiter, and they asked him what he wanted to be, and he said, I want to be an in, uh, infantry. And he said, well, you're too smart to be an infantryman. they like, well, like, well, that's what I want. And they're like, well, we're not going to put you in the infantry because you're way too qualified to do other things that we could utilize you in. So he walked away and talked to the Marine Reserve, and then the Marine Reserve said, yeah, we'll put you in the infantry. So he ended up just being a reservist, but that's kind of funny.
2: Well, I, mean, I- <laughs> Yeah. But, but it's not just reservists. I mean, I hate, you know, and that I try to, I tell people cause you know, and it's his purpose. Uh, yeah. I get a lot of, you know, a lot of times people come up and say, man, I wish I could have been there with you at Benghazi. And I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't want to be in that kind of thing. No, I, I respect the idea that you think that, but that was not, that's not your purpose in life. Lord has something else for you.
1: Yep. I, I have a few of those stories, too, where, because I, when I, I didn't mean to be derogatory about him being just a reservist, because I was in the National Guard for a few years before, and that's where I actually did my hardest deployment, was to Afghanistan as a, as National Guard or just a reservist or whatever, but, uh no, I've, I had, when I came back and stuff, too, I've had some buddies that were like, man, I wish I, I should have joined, I really wanted to join with you, but I couldn't have, I couldn't for X, Y, and Z reason and everything else and I say the exact same thing you just said where I'm like well it just wasn't your that's not what God wanted you for. He wanted you to do something else. So,
2: Yep. That's a fact.
1: Mhm. That's a fact. It's definitely not what it looks like especially with you being and I know we kind of jumped into that a little bit but you being in Benghazi and stuff too obviously you co-authored the book of the book 13 hours and uh mm-hmm. that whole uh that whole deal in Benghazi it's like then obviously the movie getting made and everything, but being in war and being in battle and that kind of stuff—it's definitely not how it looks on TV. You know, it's so much different. And they—they yeah. they do their best with theat with uh, Hollywood and stuff. They do the best with what they can, and also make it however entertaining as they can. But it, when you're when it's in real life, it's just com- a completely different. Uh, I guess it's so different than what you see right did you see it you, is you specifically since there's a movie made about your experiences and stuff, did you like watching that movie and stuff did you think they got it pretty close or was it one of those things who were like, man i mean you did you did the best you could kinda of deal
2: you know they did a good job um you know, and i that's one of the big things everybody asks us is you know how well was it and and I would say that. You know, it's probably 70, 75 percent, right? You know, okay. it depends how it was. I mean, there's there's some you know there's little things. I mean, obviously, you know, as anybody in the military knows. I mean, when we're getting attacked, if you're in a con, you know, you're in a per, you have a perimeter. The perimeter is not just one sided or two sided. It's three hundred sixty degrees. Mm-hmm. So. At any one time, I mean, the movie depicted all of us always engaging because the reason for that is to show the teamwork and how and to get that part of of that in the movie. So people understand how we how, you know, just how that is, is how combat, you know, it is a team event. It's not a single person thing by any means. But in reality, there's. Two or three, you know, we got two or three guys uh, out of six, six, seven, eight of us that were there up on top of the rooftops, two State Department guys and the rest of us, but really it was us six. The State Department guys never really got into any shooting because they were covering our other, you know, other part of our perimeter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that's a little bit different. Um, Other things that are was, you know, like the bus bomb, um, after the first attack on... It was this at the end of the second attack on the annex as they had this big bomb, they were pulling off the bus and, uh, and you know, and then we shot it and it blew up and it pretty much ended it. And, you know, when we... When Michael Bay was... We saw that part of the movie and how he did that, And you know, and the question to him was, well, why are you doing that? There's enough... You know, there's plenty of other um, explosions and all of that. And he's like, well... My job is to make sure I keep people's butts in the seats, keep them entertained and build their anticipation for what's going to come next.
3: Mm -hmm. Because
2: ultimately the end when it was a complex attack, because the first two attacks weren't really that complex. They were AK 47, some belt fed machine guns, maybe an RPG or two, but it was that last one when you're dealing with all of that plus indirect fire, that changes that that really changes the game and especially from a a small unit you know trying to defend themselves you can't defend against indirect fire and he wanted to make sure that was building up to it and that's kind of why he explained that he did that so um you know and then everything else was pretty much you know it was pretty much the same they you know except different characters did things um, Jack's character was actually in reality when uh, Jack's character had went up and was there with Tyrone Woods in reality, after the mortar said it was Tig who was the first guy up on the roof and we were separated on more than one rooftop. There was four rooftops and we were all spread out over that kind of a period. But, you know, but mm-hmm. oh it's,
3: you
2: to try to film that from a cinematography standpoint, it would be difficult and keep um, be able to have a, a good flow. So that's why the last fight was pretty much all of us on. You know, there was two rooftops they really showed um, more than anything. But uh, yeah, it was it was good though. I yeah. was I, we were happy with it. I mean, we were on set for a lot of it, so it was it was a good thing.
1: Yeah, I was just I was just gonna ask if you were how involved were you in the making that movie and everything else and were was everyone um like was everyone pretty involved or
2: everyone who wanted to be involved was involved oh, yeah, and yeah. all of us were at different levels. I mean me and Tig and and Tonto were probably the most visually involved. The other guys were there, you know, were involved too. Jack was there, um you know, and that kind of thing too. But, uh, so it, it was just, you know, more than anything, it was just up to the individual and how much they wanted to be there and that not and what their other, you know, the rest of their life, they were getting on with their life and what that meant too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so being, uh, being on set and stuff, you got to meet like all the actors and stuff, obviously. Right.
0: You spent a good amount of time with
1: everyone. Cause who, who was that guy that played as you? Was it, uh, so Max, uh, something I know. Max Martini. Max Martini, because that guy, I fucking love that guy in a lot of the movies he's done. Because he's in the first time I seen him, he was in the unit back in the uh-huh. day. Yep. And that fucking show yep. was awesome. I love that show. Yep. <laughs> but like, were yep, they all were they yes. all decent people too? Like, I guess all the actors and they stuff. Were or did they come off you as know, like Hollywood and... fucking scratching your ass? Kind of. Like, I don't know. Just
2: no. Nah, they him. they were. I was really impressed. I mean, cause you know, I had my preconceived ideas about what it is to be, you know, an actor. And, uh, um, these guys wanted to get it right. I mean, me and Max talked a, a lot on the phone, um, before we ever met even. Okay. And just talked about, he wanted, to, and you know, and he wanted to know what, you know, how I was when I grew up, you know, um, what, where I grew up, what did I like? All, I mean, all of those things. Um, and a lot of, cause I asked him, I'm like, what's that got to do with anything? You know? And he's like, well, I need to know who you are before I can play that part. Oh and, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I thought that was pretty cool that that's the way it was. And that's what he wanted to do, um, was to make it like that. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was good.
1: That's good. Yeah, I mean, man, first of all, it's one thing to play. I feel like that's one thing to play a a character that is totally fictional, you know, right? Like, you can Uh – I don't know. I'm trying to relate this, I guess. Uh, Okay, so I I have a bunch of tattoos, and I went to my tattoo artist, and I gave him a picture. And I said, put this on my arm, basically, and show him where it's at and stuff. And he's like, man, he's like, I love – I love tattoo art, like being a tattoo artist and stuff like that, but just so you know, these are very difficult to do because you have an actual picture to go off of, and it's not going to necessarily look 100% like the picture because it's a tattoo. I'm like, yeah, no, I totally get that. And he did that t- tattoo and stuff, but when he, I gave him free range to just do whatever he wanted, he had a lot more fun with that, and they came out really good, really good too, but it's just, uh, it's kind of like, I guess maybe that where if you're playing, if you're an actor and you're playing someone that's totally fictional, you can let your imagination kind of run with the role. But when you're playing Mm -hmm. something, playing a person and actually trying to be like that person and especially to have that person still be alive and telling you like, Hey, this is who I am. And that's gotta be a lot of pressure on an actor to go in there and act your heart out and do your best. And then maybe not hit really nail it, I guess, especially if the, the dude is alive and watching. Like, like that's not how that's not who i am like the i would never act that way you know i don't know
2: right right 100 but yeah no. and that's and and they did good with that that's the one thing that probably impressed me the most the effort that they put into making sure that it was done correctly yeah that's good um it was awesome
1: that's awesome that's a that's a pretty pretty neat experience and something that uh you know not obviously not Nobody – like, like basically nobody gets to experience that. So it's pretty neat for uh, a situation that was not very good and have something yeah. come out of it and have a story come out of it that can live forever. And – I mean, you – because – okay. Before we get into that, how – so how long were you with all your teammates in Benghazi? Like, did you know them for quite a while beforehand or –
2: no, and that's one of the bigger things. That's what. That's the one thing is a big difference between uh, um, the military-type units and contracting is, you know, we all knew of each other for the most part. Um, I knew TIG. And I wouldn't say I knew TIG. I knew of TIG. We had worked in a couple different countries together, but never at the same time at the same place. Oh, okay. um, Like you
1: second, almost like secondhand know him?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he was, you know, he'd be coming in and I'd be going out or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Jack and Tyrone uh, and Roan worked together um, off and on at different places. Um, Tonto and DB had worked together. I knew Tonto from training when we'd have some training in between deployments. And I'd worked with at the same place as DB, just never doing, never together. Cause it was a bigger spot. And then we, you know, we're always usually working in twos and, and twos and threes, but um, never really worked together with him until there. So I was, I'd known those guys for about 45 days and that was it.
1: Oh, no shit. Yeah. So, be, so before uh, the attack on <clears throat> the Benghazi attack, you, at the longest, you only knew, knew each other, like really knew each other for about 45 days, huh?
2: As a group As a together, group. that six guys, yeah, we we were really only been together for about 45 days.
1: Holy shit. That, that At is, least
2: for me being a part of it.
1: Right. That is a weird scenario, too, especially for something like that, like a, an attack like that complex and that uh, high stakes. Like like you said, the I guess the – being in the military, obviously you were in the Marine Corps for a long fucking time. And I was in the army for a while before you deploy, you get a lot of time to spend with each other and a lot of time to build that camaraderie up and that teamwork and really know each other and know kind of strengths and weaknesses type of thing. So being a contractor Mm -hmm. and being in such a high risk situation, like Benghazi, I mean, holy shit, that's not very much time to like, really get to know get really get to know each other and really learn each other's strengths and weaknesses I guess
2: yeah yeah it is it's it's you know you have to be in and that's where that professionalism that professional soldier you know professional it, it comes into play is you know we all go through you know we've all been through some some very ex- extensive training navy seals marine corps snipers army ranger all of that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and we've all worked doing with worked with grs for several years um and our trainups global response group it's the name that they we were under i guess is the best way to put it okay you know if you asked it wasn't a contract it was that was the basically that's the name of what the group is called or those individuals that contract with the agency at that time.
1: Okay. So you're saying uh, when you say GRS, you're talking about like, uh, contractors, military contractors, military
2: contractors. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. All right. Just just so people, and it wasn't
2: a company. Yeah. And it wasn't a separate company. It was just a designation of a group of individuals that worked as independent contractors.
1: Gotcha. Yep. So kind of the, the, the broad term.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we all, um, so we all worked together. I mean, worked under the same auspice, but you, like you said, they would pick people based on availability for one, but more than anything on the skill sets that they wanted for each location. If there were certain things that they needed, You know, if they knew that somebody was a linguist, an Arabic linguist or something like that, they may pick him for a certain spot for a certain time. Um, You know, whatever that would work out, that's kind of how they put it all together.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, so everyone that was there, you guys all had kind of, uh, I guess, lack of better terminology, like an MOS. Like you you had your own little... Like I guess contractor specialties, if you want, if you want to say that, so, um, or or do they kind of just need people there, so they just would, how, yeah. How would they pick that out? Like how do they pick, uh, you know, Mark Geist to go to Benghazi to do that contract? I guess. Um,
2: I mean, one of it was I I was always asking to go to wherever there's. I didn't like this this the. Uh, I wouldn't say safer because none of them are safe, mm-hmm. but I like the places that were different, that challenged, that had a different type of mindset for the mission or whatever it was. Um, you know, it's in every country that I've worked in is a little bit different. So, and, you know, I speak Farsi as a second language. Um, that's always an asset, uh, just mm-hmm. having that lingu- linguistic capability. I speak. I used to speak a little bit of Arabic as well. I mean, I couldn't get by as a native by any means, but I knew enough to deal with the people and interact with people. Um, you know, and I think that's one. That was one of and I worked – my last six years in the Marine Corps, I was an interrogator translator, and that's where I learned Persian Farsi and all that as well. And um, so that played a role in why I was there, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, you know all of that kind of stuff, and 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 it's also personality. It's how each, you know, how we all work together,
3: mm-hmm.
2: as well. Um, so so you so know, those are all things that come into play.
3: Yeah,
1: for sure. So when uh, I guess uh, I when because the, the, there's guys that have been there for a while, right? Benghazi. I guess we'll just use keep going down that road. I guess, but when you got there. You didn't go there with a group of guys, right? You just no, you just went no. yourself. They just sent you, yep. and there'd be guys there. They like, oh, go, yeah, meet up with. Uh, I guess who did you touch base with when you got there the first time, or um, our day one? I mean, it
2: was very much it was very much like the movie. I mean, you would land at the airport and you'd grab your bags, and there'd be somebody you know you can kind of pick each other out. Oh. Um, and you just go jump in a vehicle and that's where you, you know you're just going to have to you kind of wing it just yeah. um yeah i guess is the best way to put it i mean not without going into a whole lot of trade craft and stuff that's uh mhm that's pretty much it
1: no that's that's it's just kind of a wild thing so i've never i've never been a contractor i've always thought about it like when i first got out of the military especially getting back in the civili- civilian world and trying to find a job that pays good enough you know to support a family and everything else but you know when i got when i got home it was you know we had some tough times i was in a decent amount of debt and we had some we had we rode the struggle bus for a few years and i always kind of sat in the back of my head where i'm just like fuck because i'd get emails from these uh contracting companies saying hey you know you meet the requirements kind of deal like why don't you go ahead and apply and i get these emails all the time like fuck like I tell my wife "I'm. this is always on the table I could go do this for a few years make some money and then be done but never did cuz she always talked me out of it thank my thankfully because my whole goal well, of getting out because, of the military was to be a dad and I can't really right. be a very I couldn't be there for my daughter like I wanted to if I was gone contracting all the time but
3: yeah
2: yeah yeah that's i mean and that you know that's one of the things there is um and everybody says that too is like yeah you know I want to do this so I can go make a little bit of money and then be done. There's never being done you know <laughs> yeah. I mean I don't know a lot of guys that that quit it because um i mean I would to be honest I'd probably still be guaranteed I'd still be doing it if it was um if I didn't uh get to the point of where i I'm not an asset anymore mm-hmm. you know. With my uh, with my um, injuries, he has you know, most people they don't see it, but my hand that I can't, I don't have much feeling in it. Um, I went from being left-handed to right-handed, um, so there's a lot of things that play that uh, you know play into that, where you're not gonna be uh, be able to mm-hmm. hang in there and be an asset to the, to the team again.
1: Right. So, yeah, I guess, cause you, you got pretty dinged up over during that whole mm-hmm. battle, didn't you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, my left arm was about severed off. Um, I had about 26, I think it was close to 26 holes in me. Uh, most of them, I mean, thank goodness were, uh, most of them weren't squirters. They were just, uh, oozing. So, <laughs> you know, it's, you don't worry about those that are oozing. You just worry about the ones at least starting out. You worry about the ones that are squirting. Yep. And uh, that's kind of how you gotta. That's 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 the way I put it and looked at it. Is you know it's but I was I was lucky though because you know it's uh, what we found out was what blew up next to me. The the indirect fire were eighty one millimeter mortars. They were French mortars. Holy shit. And an eighty one millimeter mortar has a kill radius of like a hundred and thirty one feet
1: yeah they're they're big boys,
2: yeah, and you know it's it's that mean basically for the for the lay audience out there that's that means that if you're within that kill radius you've got about a ninety seven percent chance of dying, and I had three of them blow up within fifteen feet of me
1: holy fuck, yeah, holy shit. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I would consider that lucky too, for sure.
2: Yeah, like right. I mean, <laughs> I, I say I I say lucky. I don't know if it it wasn't luck. It was the Lord up above freaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there, were, you know, the the first one that hit the top of the rooftop, went through me and killed Ty standing on the opposite side of me. Jeez, you know, um, and that's one of those things where you know people are like do well, you have, um, uh, survivors guilt. You know, and, and I don't because I knew it was the Lord's purpose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had a reason for keeping me around. And he had a reason for, you know, taking tithe, for, for tithe sacrifice in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who am I, you know, and that's where, who am I to question that? Yep. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the, it's that relationship with the Lord for me is what's gotten me through You know, everything I've been through in the past, plus all I've been through with Benghazi and and where I'm going to this day.
1: Yep, that honestly, dude, you, you said it best. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian too. And, uh, I know I might sound a little rough and I still swear quite a bit, but it's one of those things where it's hard. There's a lot of things that happened in my life too, that I'm sure happened in a lot of people's lives. A lot of people out there. I've had these experiences where you just don't, it just doesn't make sense. Why? Like you just don't understand Mm -hmm. why, like me personally, I should have been dead when I was born. I shouldn't have even made it out of the hospital. And then I did. And I, I can count probably two, uh, at least two or three different times when, after I was born where I should have died as well. Um, And then being, then joining the army on top of that and going to Afghanistan and doing all the shit I did over there too. And it's like, there's way too many times where I escaped, escaped death. I guess to, and it didn't really make sense why I did. To uh-huh. there's a there's a there's something else. There's a there's a purpose to everyone's life. I feel like, and um, it's not up to you to decide when that ends. It's up to yeah, it's up to the the it's up to God to decide when that, yeah. when, when your story ends and it's you know, your purpose is to just keep going, keep living and keep doing what is right. And for whatever reason that is, you know, it's not our, it's not our, uh, I guess it's not our business to know it's God's business, you know, and same, and that has helped me too. Cause I had a buddy that didn't come back from Afghanistan too and I've spent years you know replaying that back and being like what the fuck you know like why I went through periods of anger and guilt and all the above and yeah really it just came down to uh, praying a lot and just trying to learn how to be okay with not knowing why and just trusting like you said trusting in the Lord and trusting that he everything he does is for a reason even if you don't know
2: uh huh yeah. yeah it's i mean it, it's faith you know cuz if you knew why everything happened or you knew how life was going to go then there's nothing that's not faith faith mm-hmm. is being able to have that trust and loyalty and devotion to that thing that is intangible you know intangible yep and you know, and I think that I mean I was. People always ask me, you know, what did you have? your was your faith this strong before you were in Benghazi? And um, and my answer is yes, but it's but it was different. Yeah. And I put it, you know, like before Benghazi. I mean, I always, you know, I I always knew God was there. I always He knew that He was in my life. There's way too many times that things happen that, um, you know that showed me that i mean i was in the philippines we were doing some patrolling and i was the patrol leader and one of the guys one of my guys slipped and fell off this cliff and fell about 50 60 feet down and you know i ran down the hill because i mean there was pretty much nothing but rocks down there except for one spot had this pool of water that was maybe 15 feet across and By the time I got down there, this this kid, and he was a kid at the time, 18-year-old kid, landed in that water. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, dude, you okay? You okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, hey, hey, corporal guys, I got to tell you something. I'm like, okay, good. You hurt? No. He's like, no, no, I got to tell you something. I'm like, what, what? He says, God caught me and moved me. What? And I'm like, okay, good. Are you injured? (laughs) You know? And he says, no, look where I fell and look where I landed. And where he fell from, he would have had to fall at an angle. Huh. And he he is like, I felt God catch me and move me over. And this guy wasn't like a big believer either. He wasn't, you know, a Bible thumper or anything like that. He just, you know, something that happened, you know. Yeah. That was that, and it happened for a reason.
1: Yeah, like that. You one, know, it
2: happened that, for a reason for him. It happened happened for a reason for the rest of the guys on the team. Because no one questioned that he, no one on the team, no one on the in the in the squad questioned whether or not he was making something up or just talking out his ass. <laughs> you know, it's because well, they could see it too.
1: Yeah, when sh- when unexplainable shit like that happens, you just gotta sit back and be like, well. I guess we won't get to the bottom of that one scientifically, I guess. So (laughs) let's chalk it up for what it is, you know?
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, but that's, that's, that's how it was, but the different, Mm -hmm. you know, but me as a Christian was, I was always trying to make, um, my relationship with the Lord fit how I wanted it to fit. Yes. Yes. You know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: instead of just giving it completely to him, and you know, hey, I submit to you on whatever you want me to do, and it's you know and and it's gotten me where I'm at today, you know, and I mean, it's got me through everything that happened at Benghazi it's got me through every my recovery um, you know, I didn't realize it until I was looking through my med records uh, on the plane from. It was a med plane out of Germany that flew into Tripoli and and on that plane there's and there's notes in my med records where it says they had to intubate me and resuscitate me. Damn. And, so and that doesn't that doesn't happen unless you die.
1: Right, yeah. So uh so after you got hit did, did you lose uh-huh. consciousness?
2: No. Uh-uh. You didn't. I mean, I wouldn't, I'll put it this way. I wouldn't know if I did, but I can see, I can tell every, I mean, I know there is no gaps in my memory of what happened. Mm. Zero gaps. I mean, you know, everything was really kind of quiet because we'd been, our last firefight happened or the second to last one happened, um, And about two o'clock in the morning, somewhere around there, me and Ty were talking, talking about our kid. I was telling me that, you know, Ty was a 20 year, 21 year Navy SEAL. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, we all kind of looked up to him as that guy just with his experience and his leadership. And, uh, you know, and and that's one of those things, you know, it's just certain you get a group of guys together and the team leader just, you know, the guy that there can always there can be a team leader that, you know, higher ups assign. But there's a guy there that is that guy that just we all kind of gravitate to and you listen to what he has because he's, you know, his, his opinion carries just a little bit more weight because of his experience or something mm-hmm. like that
1: kind of like the team daddy. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and he was, he was that guy and we were talking about our kids and he was telling me how, you know, these are some of the greatest guys. He goes, man, these are some of the toughest guys I've ever worked with. And this is a guy that went through Navy SEAL training, you know, and and did 20 years, 20 some odd years during the war, you know mm-hmm. I mean? Because you figure most of his time was during that time period. And, oh Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> You know, and and that's it. Just carried a lot of weight to it as well. And it was about five fifteen in the morning. In the morning, when they started that complex attack, and um, I had been a rocket a RPG hit the wall, our outer wall right in front of me and Ty, and Glenn was standing there. He had, Glenn had started to move a little bit, and then. Belt fed machine guns and AKs opened up. Glenn was moving kind of to get separation, so all three of us weren't in the same spot. Um, mm-hmm. And that nest is a, and a mortar had hit the outer wall, also um, about 30 feet, 40 feet away from us, from me, on the opposite, in front of the State Department guy on the opposite end of the building. Um, and uh, I had went through a mag, knelt down, kind of squatted. I didn't even come to a complete kneel. I squatted down and uh, changed mags. And as I was starting to stand back up um, is when that next mortar hit the ground and hit the wall, actually hit the rooftop, the flat part of the rooftop, right next to the wall, and went through me and freaking. I didn't even feel that one. I just, I, it kind of knocked me back. And I caught my balance. That's when I started to bring my left arm up. I was going to start shooting again. And I noticed, glanced down, you know, in my peripheral, I could see Ty in a fetal position at my feet. And I go to bring my left arm up to stabilize my gun. And that's when I realized I was injured. And my left arm, about four inches, five inches, maybe so. Above the wrist was just kind of hanging off at a ninety degree angle. Oh fuck! And so I'm swinging my arm. I'm literally I was swinging my arm to freaking make it work, and continued shooting. And then the next mortar hit, and that one hit a little bit deeper into the roof, um, towards the center of it, and that one landed pretty much um, in front of Glen, and killed him and then I turned back to start shooting again and um, the next one hit and uh, that's where I first one I really felt any pain and it felt like I just got stung by a thousand bees and so I dove to got to it you know dove to the ground figuring that you know if there's another one coming it's gonna kill me if I don't get some cover and I just basically made myself as small as I could, but everything just went quiet. And I sat up, uh, had my back against the wall and, you know, I realized my, okay, I got to freaking put medical, pull out a tourniquet. And as I'm to put my tourniquet on, I noticed Ty and it distracted me. And I said, well, you know, I got to go check on Ty. So I kind of crawled over, um, Checked on him, couldn't find a pulse, so I sat back up and was trying to put the tourniquet on. I'd hold my arm up and try to hold it in place so I could grab the tourniquet and fit it over. For some reason in my head, I thought I needed to have my hand in place instead of just weaving it around through it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Ted was the first guy to come up on the rooftop. Um, Dave, the State Department guy, he was injured really bad he had taken shrapnel in his forehead his arm his left arm was about severed off and so was his left ankle and luckily tig had enough tourniquets on him um he came up on the rooftop and got tourniquets put on him saving his life then uh tig came over to where i was um got help get my tourniquet on and uh, helped me get up and said, hey, can you get over to the rooftop, over to the ladder on your set by yourself? And I said I could because I knew that if anybody was going to be able to save Ty, you know, because in the back of my mind, I'm still hoping Ty and Glenn are alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew Tig was going to be able to save their life. So I walk over there and then... Another guy comes up and he helps me sit on the wall and says, hey, can you, get on the, can you get down the ladder on your own? And this is where just the fog of everything. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I didn't even think about my arm. I'm just thinking I got to get down. And that's when it kind of dawned on me. I mean, how in the hell am I going to get down from this thing? Um, so I hooked my good arm around the top rung of that ladder and just slid off and figured, you know, I'm, I could slide down and my feet would hit the, hit the ladder and I'd be good. It all happened other than my feet didn't hit the ladder. I kind of didn't fall because I had my – the crook of my elbow was around that top rung of the ladder. So I was able to pull myself up, get myself down, and walked around. And then somebody else was coming out, and they walked me in. And uh, I ended up having to tell the State Department – the State, the CIA people, you know, hey, get my clothes cut off. I had to I directed them through my care. You know, hey, if it's Jeez. that's right, if it's squirting for it can stop it, if it's they did what they, they needed to do. Um and then about seven o'clock, somewhere around seven o'clock in the morning, we were able to get another militia help escort it, help us get to um get to the airport where we loaded up on a civilian plane and the, the guys that came in on Glenn's team and came in on from Tripoli and we all flew back except for the shooters, the rest of the guys that weren't injured or at least were still combat effective.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, about 10 o'clock, I think it was, 10.30, somewhere around there, a, a C-130 landed and um, the guys thinking that it was a U.S. plane finally. Uh, when it turned and parked, it had a Libyan flag on it, so they went over and talked to them guys and um, were able to convince them that it was in their uh financial interest <laughs> yeah. uh, because you know the the one thing i mean we we had plenty of cash mm-hmm. um, you know we can, you know how that works um oh yeah yeah that's 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 how you buy assets and yeah, loyalty com- and all of that. The CIA, and, uh, the CIA,
1: and the and contractors. You guys always have a pile of cash with you, just just in case.
2: Yep. <laughs>
1: that's what. Yeah, that's I, just the it's truth. like having that,
2: that black American Express card or whatever yep. it is.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. This is a the tr- That's a, the the reality in a lot of countries, especially countries like that, where uh, you can buying loyalty is still like a a really big thing. So.
3: <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, not to, not to diverge into politics, but from what I've been seeing that's happened in Washington, D.C. Oh. the last, you know, yeah. I think that's kind of how it is there too. Yeah. We just act like it doesn't exist.
1: Right. No, you're hundred percent right. It's that is the way it is.
2: <laughs> I mean, don't mean to get in that direction, but Hey, no, you're good. I got to call it how I see it. <laughs> it,
1: it, it I mean, at this point, Does money even matter anymore? I don't know. Oh, I know. (laughs) Is it even a a thing that we should be working our asses off and trying to work so hard to collect? Or should we be out there um, trying to get other, you know, find other reasons to live? You know, I don't know.
2: (laughs) Oh, well, it's like, I mean, I hate to say it, you know, and again, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, but... um, we've been fa- we've been printing money like it's going out of style to send to Ukraine and it's money we don't have yeah so if you're printing money we don't have why are you why are you taxing me on money that i don't have right you know yeah yep <laughs> i mean it's like just print it and just you know hey i mean it, it none of it exists once we came off the gold standard so we're, what the <laughs> hell is well, you know? <laughs> I,
1: was, I was, I was just having this conversation with my boss, uh, today, actually, we were talking about that and I was explaining like, yeah, at one point in time, you know, dollars meant it was, it was all reflective of how much, um, how much gold we had as a country. And since we came off the gold standards, basically been like, well, instead of our money being backed by gold, now it's backed by lead. We're like, we're not, we're not saying like, Hey all this money we have backed by gold is like, Hey, we have this money. We have other countries to basically still trade with. And if they stop trading with us and stop, I guess, boosting our economy and our dollar, like if they get, if they get off of our American dollar system, then Uh we have a lot of assets militarily that would um, prove to be a problem, I guess. So our, yeah, yeah. Our dollar is not backed by gold anymore. It's backed by the military, basically, is what it boils down to. Yeah,
2: it's that mili- industri- military industrial complex.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. We're all the economy and everything's so intertwined with uh, with war and our fighting effect, our effective fighting abilities as a, as America is the reason why our economy hasn't collapsed yet, which is kind of scary. But what do you do? You know, well, it,
2: well, it is, especially the way the military is going.
1: Yeah, no shit.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, you oh, know. Gosh, and so... again,
2: I don't want to get, I don't want to go down that. say,
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, how much time do you have again? <laughs>
3: we yeah, could, we exactly. could be here for
1: four could... hours, dude. God dang. <laughs> oh yes. Oh my yes. gosh, no, that that is a whole another yeah. can of worms that I talk, I I do talk about that quite a bit with, especially when I have my my brother on. We get pretty deep in the woods on uh-huh. some shit because we were both we were both in the army together and stuff, and it's yeah, we get we get in some shit like that quite a bit on this on this podcast but yeah it's yeah. oh man it's rough it's rough. it'll stress you out thinking about it that's why i just try not to really i i stay aware but i try not to uh let it affect how <coughs> I, i'm not going to let it affect my day you know what
2: i mean yeah yeah, yeah it's it's there you know and that's where i gotta always turn back to to christ and you know mm-hmm. i wake up every day and my goal is to make a difference in somebody else's life.
1: Absolutely. Whether they,
2: whether I agree with their philosophies or not, because it doesn't matter. I mean, when we were writing the book, uh, the publisher was well, somebody from the publishing house. When I was first talking about it, they're like, uh, after I told the story, they were like, well, do you hate the people that were trying to kill you? And I was like, well, why would I hate them? And they're like, well, they were trying to kill you. And I'm like, Okay, so I don't have uh, – to me, I mean, and I don't know if it's just the idea of being a professional soldier. I don't need to hate somebody, and this sounds bad, but I don't need to hate somebody to kill them. Yeah. I need to do a job, and my job was to make sure that Americans came home, mm-hmm. and I was going to do that. Whatever it took to bring them bring them home to their families, that's what needed to be done, and I was going to do it. I can't talk about hate. I can't let it because if you allow if you allow hate in your heart, whatever you're doing becomes evil. Yep. You you said it earlier. You know about being a Christian and cussing. I mean, I was in the Marine Corps for 12 years. Marines use the F word as a comma. Yeah. Yep. You know, <laughs> and and I was I, I actually got into a debate with this friend of mine with his wife, and she's like, "Well, the Bible tells us not to cuss," and I'm like, "Okay, now." Down south, I said I've I've been, I've been down south a lot, and these really Christian ladies will tell you how nice or bless your heart, and if you're from the south, you kind of know what those two things mean, and it doesn't mean oh how nice, it's just another way of saying f you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, you know, or bless your heart. Same thing. Yeah. I, I, so my question to her was, is it the words that come out of your mouth or the, what's in your heart that matters?
1: Exactly. Yep. I, I, I feel the same way where, um, when I, when I'm swearing, it's more or less, it's just, it's how you use it. If I'm, if I'm sitting here like, Oh man, Holy shit. Nice bike. Right? That, yeah, it's a, it's a compliment. If I say like, Holy shit, you're ugly as hell. Like that's not nice. You know, <laughs> two totally yeah. different things. Like, yeah. They're just they're just words, and if you it's how you use the words that matter. It's not what the words are, I guess, right? And yeah. what's, what's funny is that, that um the bless your heart thing. I'd never heard that before. Like I never heard those two terms before until like last month, and someone from the south told me that. And I was like, Oh, that's a weird that's a weird insult. And then I just heard it again today. So I just so thirty two thirty two <laughs> years I've never heard those that those terms. Yeah. And then in the past two uh, past past month I heard them twice. <laughs> but no, well, yeah. You know, and it's
2: like to go to your point. It's like when I say as a as a marine, F word is a foreman. And it's funny because I never would use it around. I never used the F word around my mom. Oh okay. But even after I get out of the Marine Corps, but you know, if I wasn't around her, it would be like, oh fuck, you know, son of a bitch. What the fuck happened just there? Yeah. Holy crap, man. Oh man, fuck, fuck, fuck. What was that? <laughs> I'm trying to think of that fucking thing. Yep. And what am I saying there? Is it, it's not, you know, and, and people are going to be out there. I mean, there's probably somebody going to freaking hammer me for going through all that, but no, there's, just... that's, there's no hate in my heart with that. There's no anything. I mean,
1: Exactly it's, it's, I hear And you. that's what
2: it is and,
1: and unfortunately because um, I so I, I had a podcast before that me and my brother did together and we swore a lot in mm-hmm. that too and um, also with this podcast like I've heard I've had people come on to me and like I guess especially uh, church people they they listen to the podcast for some, which you know obviously I it's for this podcast is for a, a niche group of audience. And they get right. it. I, at least I I believe they get it. And certain people that don't get it, they, they come to me and they're like, whoa, whoa, you're talking some pretty, you're using some very colorful language. Like, how do you think, like, what are your, what do your parents think about it? Like, well, my dad listens all the time. He doesn't care. And they're like, oh, it's a pretty good. Uh, I had one person tell me that I'm setting a bad example for the church because of my podcast. And like, well, I guess that sucks. But I just don't. I don't feel like God really cares as long as like you said i'm not I'm not saying these words maliciously or if I am saying them maliciously like it's it'd be the same way as if I was just talking maliciously without using quote unquote cuss words it's the, yeah, same, it's, it's the yeah. same thing so even that even like Christ, like Christians when they do talk maliciously just because they're not swearing doesn't mean God's sitting there like, Yeah, nice, you're really making me proud, yeah. you know. Like if they yeah. go, go around saying like, "Oh yeah, you're gay, you're going to hell, and you're a piece of crap." Like, is being gay a sin? To, yeah, but it's not. It's not our place to hate that person or, or spread hate because of their actions. That's not what we're here to do. And I don't think God would be proud of you as a Christian to uh, to be judgmental. Ju- be judgmental and deem them unworthy of God's love just because they're Christians, and that pisses me off when. A lot of Christians do that uh-huh. because, man, that, you're making me look like an asshole too. When I talk to guys that I'm like, yeah, you know, I talk about my faith. And then they're like, ah, you know, I grew up in a church and I, it's just it's not my thing. They're too judgmental. and They made me feel like shit. I'm like, that's not the way it's supposed to be though, you know? So I try to, to talk to them like they yeah. talk and kind of, you know, uh, I guess prove to them that, you know, hey, we're not all judgmental assholes sitting in a church pew saying that you're not living your life in a godly way because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm the perfect image of God. Like you're not, no one here is a perfect image of God. Jesus was like, not you. Sorry. So.
2: Well, uh, and, and this is where, you know, it's, it's kind of like, this, yes, And I, I'm right there with you. You know, if if the Lord can forgive me for all the things I've done wrong in this world, who am I to question anybody else? That's between them and Christ. Yeah. You know, I don't agree with a lot of things. I don't agree with abortion. Right. I don't agree. I don't, I do think that being that not being, I think that, um, premarital sex with any buddy mm-hmm. is a sin. Mm-hmm. But you know what? And I've done that. I mean, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a, I, there's no way do I claim to be anything close to a perfect. I mean, right. but I have friends who are gay. I've had, and you know, I, hey, I love on them and live my life as Christ would like it to be lived. And hopefully that plants the seed in somebody else's mind. You know, because I'm not going to get in the argument with people about whether it's a choice or not, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: because I don't care what it is. Everything is a choice. Yes. I can choose to be good or bad. I can choose to be whatever, you know, I can choose to act respectful to everybody. I choose to love everybody. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I want to hang out with everybody but right. i still love him as as Christ loves me and 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 that's to me that's where it's that's what it's about it's not you know it was actually an iranian that um um an um, iranian muslim said it to me he was one of my uh language instructors and he's like religion is a man made thing your relationship with the lord is spiritual and mm-hmm. between you and him
3: mm-hmm
2: and religion is something that's had more people killed than anything else. In the name of religion, more people have died. And it's a man-made thing. It's a dogma that I think is designed for power and control. Mm-hmm. And Christ wasn't about power and control.
1: Yeah. I and mean, he's he
2: about loving everybody.
1: Yep. Fishing
0: like a local isn't just about catching fish.
1: Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from seven to ten PM Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I mean, if if you really want to break it down, it's like, man, Jesus could have been one of the probably one of the wealthiest, like best rabbis or whatever in that time, mm-hmm. if he wanted to. But that's not what he was put on Earth to do. Is he, he was put on Earth to, you know, live his life and as God, you know, God like, yeah, I in got like be God incarnate and show us the perfect path. Not saying that we are going yes. to walk the per- the perfect path, but he was put, he was sent to the earth to show us what the perfect path looked like. So we know, so we have a North star. So we have something to look at, to strive for. Like I look at, if I look at, uh, any athlete, let's say I'm looking at, uh, Fucking, no, no. not um, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, Indian Peyton Manning. Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning. Any of them? I'm looking at them. Be like, I want to be a really good quarterback. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to strive to be like them because they, in my eyes, let's say, well, yeah, yeah, say Tom Brady, the best quarterback to ever play the game. Am I ever going to be there? Maybe not, but at least I have something to look look for to strive towards. I guess right, and mm-hmm. that's what Jesus was here. He's sent here to be the shining light to show us how to live, not full knowing that we're not all going to live like exactly like he did, because that is in some ways an impossible task because we're not perfect. We are humans. We make mistakes. We do dumb shit and everything else. But you know, that's part of living as I guess as part of this human experience is doing all that, but also knowing that, you know, God's always there for you. He might not be happy with you a hundred percent of the time, but he's always there to love you. Hmm. Yep. Yep. But yeah, yeah. That's what
2: it's all about.
1: Yep. Yeah. It, this isn't. It's all. This podcast was not actually meant to be a a, a church. <laughs> you know, Sunday Sunday <laughs> church <Yeah>. outing. But <laughs> it's one of those things where I do. I, I've never talked about that on the podcast before. But it is a huge part of my life, and it's always there. And I'll talk to anybody about it whether they agree or disagree I'll talk to anybody about it because it's just it's just something that like you said I've I've done a lot of stuff in my life and that's one that's the the major factor that I go to when I'm struggling or even when I'm not struggling when I'm doing good I'm like you know thank you God for you know all my all these blessings you know and everything else it's like I don't know it's just it I guess being a Christian is always in the forefront of my mind. And even though I might not sound like a quote unquote Christian because of the way I talk, but just know that whatever I do say, like you said, is with love. I don't hate anybody and like being in Afghanistan and fighting. I've had those same questions too, where it's like, Oh man. Or I've had those conversations with people where they, they say like, I hate them fuckers. Like, dude, there's no reason to hate them. Like they're, they're doing their job and we're doing our job. That's just the way it is. Like, you know, and like my, my buddy got killed over there and it's like was I angry? Was I pissed? Yes, I was. And was I sad? Absolutely. I went through all the stages of grief, but it's like one of those it's one of those things too, where like I still didn't I didn't hate them on a personal level. Like they were doing their job and we were doing ours and that's just what happens when you go to war, unfortunately. war is not fought with you know, rock, paper, scissors, it's fought with bullets and bombs. It's just the way it is. And it's the, the sad truth that those things happen, but you know, I don't know. It's a, it is a tough conundrum to put yourself in because I do like, I, I, I almost feel like I'm contradicting myself now. Cause I just said earlier in this podcast, how we don't get, we shouldn't get to choose uh, when it's when someone's life is to end. Right. It's God's it's God's decision. But yet I went over there and I, you know, I sent people to their God, you know, and vice versa. Like, I don't know. I, don't, I guess I, I don't know what the right answer is. I, it's one of those things where well, that that right there is one thing I do kind of struggle with per, on a personal level, but I don't know.
2: Well, I, I look at it like this is, you know, yeah, there was a lot of people that whose lives ended because of actions that I did. But the actions I did weren't, and it goes back to the, Why did you do that? Well, you didn't go doing that to, you didn't go over there to kill them. You went over there to preserve peace or get rid of a hate or, you know, it's, it's, it's done to protect the people to your left and right. I mean, even if you're on an offensive attack, I mean, the best defense is a good offense. Mm -hmm. You know, Christ is the same way. I mean, Christ didn't wait for it to come to him. He went to it. Mm -hmm. And it's not a, um, you know, it's, I'm a tool at the hands of the Lord and use me to be his, you know, his will will be done through me if I listen to him and open my heart, you know, um, for him, um, and he'll guide that. And however that's used, that's used. That's 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 what he wants. He would not make warriors. I mean, you look at Gideon. Gideon in the Bible. I mean, he wanted. He did. It's like how am I? How can I go do this? I'm the weakest of my tribe. He's hiding in the wheelhouse. And the Lord sent an angel to him and said, "You are to be this." And he said, "Well, okay, go show me this, and I'll, then I'll believe." And that wouldn't and happen. And he comes back, okay, and Gideon, okay, show me again. Because he didn't believe and he didn't, you know, okay, I want to make sure that because I can't imagine why you're using me to be this, mm-hmm. to be this warrior to, you know, and what did he do? He said, you know, I'm going to give you a 1,000 men, but no, I'm not going to give you a 1,000. I'm going to give you 300. I think I don't remember the exact numbers. Somebody will question that and get, <laughs> they'll, they'll hit me on that. But, you know, it was 301. But uh, right. <laughs> you know, um, this is the thing: is then he went out and with the Lord he slayed thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. And why did he do that? You know, because the problem with a lot of churches these days is, is they think Christ was meek and weak and was yeah. passive. Yep. You know when when you talk about turn the other cheek, that isn't that doesn't mean let somebody hit you again. That means forgive them for whatever they do, whether Mm -hmm. they do it once or twice or three times, continue, turn the other cheek and give them forgiveness. But that doesn't mean that you have to let that happen, that action happen again, you know? Yeah. Okay. Here, I'm going to let you hit me in the, punch me in the face. Okay. Well, since you did that out of hate, do it again on this side. No, (laughs) you know, I can defend myself. Christ. I mean, there's so many times in the Bible where, it's, where they talk about that. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, and we as Christians have to stand up and have to take back cr- our relationships with the Lord and bring him back and demand that he be in our lives. I'm not, no one can tell me he's not going to be in my life, and I'm not going to be quiet about it either. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be the guy that stands on the freaking as he, you know, don't be, don't, don't pray out in open, pray in silence. Yeah. Where nobody knows it. Yeah. But at the same time, live, I live my life. I try to live my life as God would have it, as Christ would have it and be that example and make out somebody else's life better. Yes. Um, and I think that's what, that's what it's, that's what it's all about. I mean, Yep. you know,
1: I think so too, and that's um, and, and that's a huge reason why I started this podcast too, is to reach out to other groups of people, especially you know people in the veteran community, and obviously um, so I'm obviously working uh, with working class bow hunter podcast with Curt and the boys over there, but uh, you know so it's I guess it's a hunting podcast and like my, my pod so working class bow hunter obviously a hunting podcast, bow hunting podcast, right. and then my podcast is like a the firearms arm of the working class bow owner podcast Mm -hmm. type of deal. So, but my goal here is to, you know, share what I'm passionate about with um, shooting sports and hunting and stuff. And also having a background in the military and trying to, I guess, yeah, show people and give people a community and how effective being outdoors and, um, all that stuff, how, Effective and essential it is to life. I feel like, and that comes back to the whole reason why I did this podcast is to have something good, do something good, and maybe maybe make a few lives better in the pro- in the process. If I can help with that, that's great. Um, but also to to show people, try to motivate them to get outdoors and feel like the healing powers of being outside and hunting and sh- and shooting sports and all that other stuff. And none. It's all part of God's creations. And that's a huge, I guess, piece of me where I feel closest to God when I'm out there in the woods, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yep. I don't know, that's just one of those what things. Is that... it? Sorry, go ahead. Luke
2: Bryant has that thing. Uh, what's this song? Something in a deer stand, praying in a deer stand or something like that?
1: Maybe. I don't listen to a whole lot of Luke Bryant, honestly. <laughs> I can. <laughs> so, I'm not saying he's bad. It's just not my. I know what you're his, saying. his 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 pants are tight and uh
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey but no yeah. I, he,
1: he's 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 cool he fucking he hunts yeah. he hunts and
2: stuff hey hunting fishing man yeah that's, that's what right. it's about that's Nick, it's, it's being out with the lord
1: nickel a day and i'd be rich for whatever i don't know yeah, Pray, yeah. praying in a de- praying in a deer stand that's probably what it is
2: praying in a deer stand yeah, that's what it go. is <laughs>
1: but, but yeah, no, yeah, I do know. You that's, know what... that's how that's how I feel about the whole thing. And, um, just, just because I don't, this, this is, this is definitely not a, a Sunday school podcast. You know, I'm, I'm, it's not meant to be that way. But that, you know, being a Christian is, I mean, I, I have a full sleeve tattoo, which is devoted to God. So it's like, he's definitely forefront of my, <clears throat> of all my decisions. So this is one of those things like this podcast being one of them and reaching out and talking to awesome guys like you. And when it comes up, I'm definitely not afraid to talk about it because it is a huge, a huge part of my life and a huge part of a lot of, a lot of other people's lives too. So yeah,
2: hundred yep. percent, man. That's what it's about. But you yeah, know, I guess, that's, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, you know, and that's kind of what got me into um, a lot of the stuff I do now with my nonprofit shadow warriors project is helping other people. Yeah. Yeah, that's helping people through things, you know, and with with GoSafe, Uh go safe, You know, when I was in law enforcement, I did a lot with I did a lot of investigations. I was certified as a forensic interviewer of children. Um, I mean, the Lord blessed me with the ability to get kids to tell me crap that no one wants to hear. Um, right. And,
1: yeah, you know, as hard time. as it
2: is, as hard as it is my goal was to make sure it was to take care of that child, make sure that child didn't, if I did my job right, that child would not have to tell that same story in court because the guy would take a plea deal, no matter what it was, because he knew he was going to go away for life. Yep. And that's, you know, and so children's safety, security, I mean, all of that is, um, is, is a part of my life. And that's what took me into being a help you know, being a founder of GoSafe, um, Mm -hmm. working on designing and, um, marketing and helping this company develop an item that can make, uh, that puts the power or the safety of the firearm back in the hands of the person carrying the weapon instead of a big piece of metal that's in the closet or in the basement or wherever at home, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's phenomenal because it just opened, you know, cause at first I thought, you know, I'm never going to use something like this. I'm a, I'm a gunfighter.
3: Right.
1: And
2: I'm like, this you know, wait, is, this is my safety. you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is my safety. You know, well, that's fine. But, and, and, and I, yeah, it is my safety when that gun is in my hand, but what's the safety on that gun when it's not in my hand. Right. And that's what go safe is. It's, it's mm-hmm. a, you know, there's two, there's a go safe, mag and the go safe. And one is a, they're both basically right now we have developed it specifically for Glock. We're going to expand it to MMP and to SIG 320. Okay. But it's a magazine. One of them is a full functioning magazine. The other one is not the one that's not is, you know, and everybody has a different use for it. Um, But the one that's not, is when I come home from work and I want to have my gun put up safe. I can put this mag in. I can turn a key at the bottom of it. It has. It's a little bit longer than a OME mag. Um, you can turn a key and lock the trigger and the slide from being able to be used. So um, if anyone ever took my gun, broke into my house, or if I use it in my car, if I got to go to court, I can't carry a gun into court. So um, I put. The go mag in, lock it. And if somebody broke into my car and stole my firearm, mm. then what they're in essence going to have is a paperweight. Yeah. Because it takes over 400 pounds of pressure to remove that magazine. You can't pull the slide to the rear, you can't pull the trigger. So I know that it's safe. I don't have to worry about if somebody got it, they're going to go shoot somebody. It puts that safety in the hand of me instead of a block box, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not discounting lock boxes. I mean, I think that's a great thing too, because honestly I'd have a lock box to put it in mm-hmm. just for double safety because I don't want to lose a gun. Right. But
1: so that the, um, the, the whole, so how did, uh, I guess before we get too far in, how, how did you become one of the founders of go Safe? It's you and, uh, and Michael, right?
2: Yeah, Mike is Mike is the CEO. CEO, okay. Um, and uh, Grant um, is. I met Grant Gregory through some friends, and he reached out to me and said, "Hey, I think you'd be a good part. I'd love to have you as part of this business." And brought me in. It's been almost four years, four or five years ago. Uh-huh. I think is when it, how long it's been now. Um, to develop this and to help market it and, you know, and and to help be the voice of it Uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about gun safety. I'm passionate about, you know, me as a firearm owner, having control of my safety of my weapon, Mm -hmm. you know? Well,
1: um, and, uh, and so I guess what was the genesis of go safe? Like why? Like there's already safes on the market. Like why, why make a, a safe that goes inside of your gun as basically a, a magazine safe? Like what was the well, I guess because, What was the reason to um, make something like that? What Was the d- demand and stuff?
2: Because then you can take it with you wherever you go. My wife and I'll give you an example. So the, then we have the Go Safe and the Go Safe Mag. The Go Safe Mag is a fully functional ten round magazine. Okay, I can oh, put yeah. that in, rack the slide, put around in the chamber turn the key, lock it, you can't take the mag out, and you can't pull the trigger. Wait, so... You can rock the slide so and eject the rounds, but you can't do anything else with it.
1: So you can have a round in the chamber with the oh. the mag, the go-safe mag in there? Mag, yep. Is it called the go-mag? Go-safe mag. Or go safe, go, mag. go safe mag, okay. So you can have, mm-hmm. have it lo- locked and loaded, ready to rock, and then you turn the key mm-hmm. and it won't fire at all because it... Do- it renders the trigger useless as well. Right. When it's locked. Correct. How does that, how does that work?
2: (laughs) It's so simple. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It blocks the trigger bar. There's a device on the mag that blocks the trigger bar.
1: Oh, no shit. Okay. uh, Yeah.
2: Yeah, That makes sense. (laughs) So like my wife, my wife carries, you know, she carries a pistol in her purse concealed Mm -hmm. and, uh, You know, you add a holster in there. Well, then it takes up more, adds more weight, all kinds of things. It's another item that you have to get your gun out of. But she was always worried about, okay, what if, you know, my purse gets banged around or I reach in. for? So you put, when when we came up with GoSafe, the GoSafe mag, she can have it round in the chamber, everything's locked. Boom, she's driving down the road. She has to stop and get gas or she's gonna go into Walmart or someplace, and something about the area you know it's just kind of sketchy or she just doesn't feel comfortable. She can reach in there, put the key in, unlock it, make it a condition one firearm
3: mm-hmm.
2: and then go do her shopping, walk to the walk back and forth to the car and not have to worry about her safety completely you know mm-hmm. um. She gets back in the car, locks it back up. Now she doesn't have to worry about it having a negligent discharge. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yes. You know, that was one thing. So, um, I know we're going to get a lot of questions, especially when people get on the website and start looking at go safe and what you, the product that you guys are, um, offering. So, well, what happens when you're walking down the road or walking on the street and you're like, Oh shit, just wait. Um, robber or person that's trying to kill me like just wait let me unlock my gun so it's a fair fight kind of deal so I,
2: here's my answer to that yeah is why would you have your gun locked if you have it in your freaking holster whether it's an inside the waistband or outside the waistband and i'm walking down the street why would i have it locked right. i wouldn't
3: yeah why exactly. do i
2: need it locked i gotta have it ready yep. i mean, it's ready when you want it the whole thing with this is it makes it when you are comfortable having it ready it's ready I mean, mm-hmm. and I and and then there's the other thing I tell people because uh, I've, I've gotten this a million times. People are like, well, what if I got, you know, a gunfight happens in milliseconds. I'm like, how many gunfights have you been in? <laughs>
1: True, yeah. You, okay? You, you got a second or two.
2: <laughs> and And here's the thing is you have a lot more time than that because if you get to the point of where you got to draw your gun and shoot and it's within seconds, you have failed in – so many other areas of situational awareness, (laughs) understanding your environment and so many other areas that you need to train in because, and here's the other thing, having been a cop too is, okay, I've been in a lot of gunfights. You don't want to be in a gunfight because here's what's going to happen. They're going to take your gun, whether you kill the right person or shoot the right person or not. They're going to take your gun. They're going to handcuff you because they don't know who or what you did and why you did it They're going to put you in the back of a police car, most likely take you down to the station, put Mm -hmm. you in the frigging interrogation room and do an interview on you. Yeah. And then you're going to have to worry about, okay, did you shoot the right person? I mean, this is what I tell If I teach a CCW class, first thing you need to do, if you see a situation arising where you think you're going to have to protect your life or the life of another, get yourself some distance from that in that situation and cover, not Mm -hmm. concealment cover. Right. Evaluate what's going on because you don't know, you know, an example, you walk into a convenience store, you're back getting a soda pop out of the freezer. Next thing you know, you hear somebody say, you know, give me your money or do this. Why are they doing that? I mean, do you want to be that guy that gets involved in that? Because one is there's nothing. As I tell people who are working convenience stores, there is nothing in that store worth your life. Give them whatever they want. Right. You know?
1: Well, and also on that note, um, there's a bunch of videos out there that you can watch and see, but, when you're getting mugged, if someone already has a gun drawn on you, whether it's locked up with a go safe or not, uh-huh. uh, you're never going to outdraw an, out, uh, dr- all, an already drawn gun. You're, I don't give a fuck if you're Jerry Michelek or Wyatt or <laughs> you're not. If they're already drawn on you, you're never going to beat them to, to the punch. You're never going to get a draw and get a shot off faster than they can just pull the trigger. Correct. So before you even pull your gun out to defend yourself or the life, defend your own life or the life of others, then you already need at least a second or two to evaluate the situation and make a decision and then do what you need to do.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. hundred percent.
1: Yep. And, uh, that, that, that was one thing. Cause when I was looking at the product and I watched a bunch of you guys' videos and stuff and kind of doing some research on, on the product as well. And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, when would I use this product? Like me personally, I have a safe at home. Like I've already got, you know, I've got my safe. It's getting a little bit small now, but I do already have a safe. And I was looking at it and you said, you know, you're only making it for Glocks right now, which makes sense because Glock is the most popular handgun, I think ever. So Uh it makes sense. You know, I get that. But I was trying to think, like, when would I use that? Because I keep all my guns locked up in a safe. And I do have one, uh, like, biometric safe at my bedside that I have my Glock in. And I'm like, well, it's already in that. So when would I ever really use this this Go Safe product? But I didn't, I didn't take into account what you said earlier, where you're carrying your gun. You're out and about, and you're like, oh, shit, i got to run the courthouse. Like, ah, oh, crap, I can't carry in there, so I'll leave it in my car. That's actually, I didn't even think about that before where, yeah, that makes, like, mm-hmm. it's locked up in your car. Sure. But what if someone jimmy's the lock and steals your car? Now they stole your gun and now they have a gun and they, they've already committed a crime by stealing your car. So now they can go commit crimes with your gun and you don't want to be right. adding to that, especially as, you know, two A advocates and and quote unquote gun guys like us, you don't want to add fuel to the fire and basically uh, arm the enemies of You know, they're going to go out and do harm and do bad shit. Mm -hmm. You don't want to give them your gun. So it does make sense to, you know, have a, have a go safe mag in there. And especially the one that you can load up 10 rounds, like that's awesome. And you can lock that sucker up, put in your car, lock your car, go do what you need to do in, uh, in a courthouse or somewhere else where you can't legally carry. That makes a lot of sense. I never even really took that into consideration yet. Cause I do, I do do that quite frequently cause I carry all over the place. And when I encounter mm-hmm. an area where I cannot carry, I get in that conundrum of, do I just carry anyways and risk getting in huge trouble, which I never do when it comes to like courthouses and stuff. But you know, right. if, if, if it's a storefront and they have on a sign, like no guns allowed, I'm not breaking the law If in the state of Iowa. I'm not breaking a law right. if I carry in that store, but they could kick me out. So if I want to avoid all that and just not carry then yeah that would actually make me feel a hell of a lot safer having a loaded gun in my car because that is also in the back of my mind whenever i leave my gun in my car like oh shit you know what if someone takes it what if someone breaks into my car steals a bunch of shit and then steals my gun you know that's a whole other rigmarole well and talk to the cops and tell them
2: 70 percent of firearms are that are stolen are stolen out of vehicles Oh really? Yep.
1: That makes sense. That makes because sense. Yeah. I don't
2: have. I don't have. Here's where I have it. I see, I, I've never seen like a thirty-two well. gun
1: safe in the back of someone's pickup truck, so it makes sense.
2: <laughs> you know, I have. I when I come home from work, or from out and about, and I've been carrying, I take my o my ome mag out. I put my go safe mag, or if I have my go safe mag in. I take my go-safe mag, still have a round in the chamber, switch it out, lock it, and I can set my gun on the mantle of the fireplace, in the drawer of my desk, Mm -hmm. on the counter where I'm getting ready to fix dinner. My kids can be running around. My my oldest daughter may come in with my grandkids, and you know what? I don't have to worry about them. I mean, I know they're – I teach them not to touch it anyways. Right. But now – if they had a friend or somebody there or got inquisitive, I don't have to worry about that. And I'm also still have a firearm should somebody enter my house where I don't have to go to the bed and use my biometric beside the bed. Right. Or I don't have to go to the closet and get it out of there or anything. I have a firearm ready for me at any time that I want. And it's in the manner of safety. It's the level of safety that I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. That's the important thing about this that I tell everybody is I'm not giving you this to tell you that this is how you use it. This is how I use it and what I see. But it gives you the freedom of making your gun safe or ready whenever you feel that it's necessary.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Puts the
2: power back in the gun owner.
1: Yeah, I, you know, man, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Cause I I mean, when I get home, when I, when I get home and I've been carrying for a while and stuff, you know, I take it off and I go to my safe. and I put it in my, just in my regular tall safe. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, basically in the, in the sense of a uh, hoe invasion or something like that, that does make it even further out of reach, I guess, when you need it. Right. So yeah, that does, I mean. Yeah, there's a lot of really good points on why you'd why that would make a lot more sense cuz you know, yeah, cuz originally when I was looking at the product I'm like, okay, yeah, it's a cool idea, but really in in a realistic sense like why? And I love how you just broke it down as like uh everyday thing where it's not necessarily like going to be one of those pieces. It's it's not flashy, right? It's not a flashy yeah. it's not a flashy cool gun gadget like you know, like a, a brand new, um, badass loop old scope or something or, or uh, yeah. or a awesome new Timney trigger or whatever, whatever you put on it. It's not a flashy piece that goes in your firearm, but it's those, uh, it's those kinds of things that make firearm ownership. I guess you have to take those things into consideration. Like you have to, if you're going to be a, a responsible firearm owner, You have to, your number one priority is safety. You have to keep your guns safe. You have to keep them safe from curious fingers and you have to keep them safe from, um, evil hands, you know, keeping Mm -hmm. your guns safe. It doesn't do you any good if it's, um, if it does become a, if it does become a dangerous object in the hands of someone that doesn't know or in the hands of someone that wants to do evil, you know? So it does make sense. And just like being that daily life type of deal. Where, yeah, it's not flashy, it's not maybe overly badass, but it's a, a measure that you are you have a responsibility to adhere to when you're a firearm owner, especially if you're going to be considered a responsible firearm owner. And especially with all the all the shit that's been going on in the news with um, anti-gun bills trying to get passed in all sorts of different places. As gun owners, we have a responsibility to keep our guns safe and out of those, out of out of those hands so we can keep doing mm-hmm. what we want to do. Right.
2: Yeah. And we as here's, I look at it like this. We as gun owners, as manufacturers, as the firearms industry, a second amendment per have to sometimes make, I look at it like make sure that what we are doing in the name of the second amendment, isn't giving the anti Second Amendment ammunition to continue to try to take away our guns. Correct. They're going to keep trying, but you know, and, and I and something, and I always go down this road with that is the buck suck. the dumbest mm-hmm. thing that ever was invented in my opinion, or one of them, the
1: bump stock is, it? Oh yeah. That's what you said. Okay. Yeah. I thought you said bump yeah, stock. The for bump some stock. Reason. Yeah. The bump stock. Yeah. Correct. The yeah. bump stock. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. It's, it's so the guy that's, that can't or doesn't want to go through the process of, you know, getting a tax stamp and owning a fully automatic weapon, or doesn't want to go down to their uh, shooting range that can rent one so they can go out and be cool and look like they're shooting something fast. Yeah i've I've carried firearms since I was eighteen years old to protect this country, either stateside or overseas, either in the military as law enforcement or a contractor and i'm fifty seven years old now so basically forty almost forty years mm-hmm. and never in all the firefights I've been in anything that I've ever done, I've never had to shoot a weapon on fully auto unless it was a belt fed machine gun. Yeah. then that's whole purpose is to be a suppressive, to put suppressive fires. Yep. Somebody developed that and it's inaccurate. I mean, there's so many things that just, I don't know why we get in our, it's like, okay, here's the baseball bat hit me in the face with it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well the, the the bump stock thing too it, I'm not a bump stock guy. I think they're fucking lame and they're also not very reliable. So it's just like mm-hmm. what, what's the what's the point? It makes you it makes you even more inaccurate with that weapon than if it was just a, you know, a full auto AR, you know, like if you had a full auto AR. Oh, you have know, the bump yeah. stock it's fucking shaking the whole thing and just it's just ridiculous. I don't I do not like that concept whatsoever and yeah in all the firefights i've been in i never once looked at my m4 or something and been like man you want to make this thing fucking sick a bump stock and i could shoot way faster <laughs> that'd be badass i would have exactly. this firefight would have been over you know hours ago if i had a bump stock like that's not a it's not enough it's not even an effective tool so no. but yeah no it, it is it is one of those things where pe- you people try to certain companies may try to skirt the regulations and you know in certain aspects i'm totally for that because fuck the government but uh there's also certain times where i'm like you know what maybe we should have not done that because then we wouldn't have given the anti so much ammo it's the same way and and yeah yeah no
2: go ahead go ahead
1: i was just gonna say in the same way with hunting like i i love hunting and i think it's great and i think it's great for people but there's a lot of people out there that would love to see hunting go away you know, like, you know, like these big animal rights act- activists like PETA and whatnot, they would love to see hunting go away, and they devote a lot of time and money into um, trying to make that happen. And when you see people, like, yes, you can. It's your right as an American to take dumbass pictures with your the animals you kill, but You'll never see me taking a picture of me, like, teabagging a buck after I killed it. Like, that's just ridiculous. That's disrespectful, and it adds fuel to the fire of the anti-hunting community. And I would never want to do that. I would never want to shoot my own community in the (laughs) foot by doing something stupid. So it's the same kind of thing with, uh, you know, it's the exact same thing with uh, the gun community, where let's not try not to do something stupid and shoot our own community in the foot, like uh, leaving a gun un- unsafe or I shouldn't say unsafe because every gun is safe until someone pulls a trigger, but yeah, making sure that it doesn't get into the wrong hands. It's our responsibility to not add fuel to the fire of the antis. That's what I was trying to get across.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's this. And I think that's, yeah, that's exactly it. It is, you know, my responsibility is to be a responsible gun owner to make sure that, I can eliminate the possibility of a negligent discharge or the misuse of my firearm whenever I can. Yep. And you know and that's it's and that's what that's my passion behind Go safe, is to give people that opportunity to put the control in their hands as a gun owner when it is when to have it safe and when to have it ready to use. Right. And yeah,
1: because I am, I, I, me personally, I am totally for that whole sentiment that we said earlier where this is my safety. Absolutely. Like when, when I say this is my safety, I'm pulling my trigger in the air, my finger in the yep. air, like I'm pulling a trigger. That's what I'm doing. Yep. So everyone listening yep. knows. When I say this is my safety, insinuating my trigger finger in my hands, yes, that is my safety because I know what I'm doing and I know how to use it. But when I put that gun down and someone else grabs it, that's not their safety. That's their f- their fun finger, you know? <laughs> so, right. To prevent that well, and, from, and, from happening, then go safe makes and sense. And that whole
2: saying of that finger being pulling the trigger, mimicking that, and and saying that is my safety, what that really is telling people, in my opinion, is that I am in charge of the safety of my weapon. Yeah. It's not just the, the cool thing because it was in Black Hawk Down. <laughs> yeah. It's, I am, this means that I am responsible and I know that my gun is safe or not safe. I know that. And and let me rephrase it. Not safe or not safe is that I know that my gun is safe or ready. Mm -hmm. And this, that's my sense. That's my showing that I am that responsible gun owner to make sure that happens.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with that. And like I said, when I was looking at, looking at your guys' product, I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred percent, hundred percent sold. Like I'll be honest, when I was lo- just looking at it, I was like, "Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I already have a safe. I don't, mm-hmm. don't think me personally would ever need something like that. So I don't know. Maybe some people would see a better use for it, but me personally, I don't think I would see a a use for it in my life. But then after talking to you some more, I'm like, you know what? I don't know that. Even if, even if it's not just for conveniences <laughs> sake, where when I get home, I can like you said, take my gun out, take my my standard mag out, and put in a Go Safe mag, or even just rock it with the the Go Safe mag model that you can right. have loaded up. Like it, just for convenience's sake of just making that that quick that quick change, and as a quick change is that's a thing that's nice about it. Like I'm not I never ever run those uh, padlock locks, the slide the slide locks or trigger locks right. or anything like that. I never run those right. because they're a bitch. They're a hassle, and they're annoying. And I'm like, I'm never going to – whenever I get a gun, I get that. That's the first thing I throw away because I'm like, this is stupid. I'm never going to use it. But the go-safe makes it – renders it just as useless but also makes it more effective because it's way faster, way more convenient, and it's just as safe. If, right. not, if not safer, honestly, because it doesn't take much to cut that 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 padlock chain deal on there you know
2: yeah yeah you're i mean i always i joke about it this thing this thing is marine proof you have to just the <laughs> only way to get it out is you got to take a saws on cut the cut the grip off right. that's how you get the magazine out yeah otherwise it's not you know and,
1: and then what do you got after that you know
2: <laughs> right right you know um and it's you know, and and here's and this is the thing is your sentiment is was mine exactly the same when I first we first started talking about this when Grant first started talking, he's like, you know, what do you think about this? I'm like, Yeah, it probably wouldn't be something I'd get because I am safe with my gun. But then he's like, But are you as safe as you possibly can with it?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, is it are there situations that you haven't thought of, and and he would start pointing these out, and I'm like, Yep, okay, yep, I can see it. He says, Come up with some more, and I started, you know, and that's where because one of this other guy we were looking at is an investor, uh, and he uh, he said, and really nice guy, but he was exactly saying, you know, I what happens, you know, that's going to just delay me getting my gun out when I need it in a gunfight. I'm like, how old are you? He's like, I'm 79. Like, how many gunfights have you been in so far in your life? Where that has <laughs> happened? He's like, uh, none. Okay. Touche. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean that's absolutely true. Um, in the fact, in the fact, I, th- I guess the only way really that you could think of where it make you less effective in a gunfight. Would be in that situation where, um, like, I don't know if you're if you anticipate something bad happening and they're like looking at you and you don't have the chance to get in there and unlock it. But that also comes back to your situation of saying where where's your situational awareness that like you should have already had a a bit of a feeling of like like when you're walking on the street, like why would you have it locked in the first place when you're doing that anyways? Right. Right. You're you're carrying for a reason. So why have it locked up? Right. But it's instances where you, yeah, where you do need to lock it, but you can't all the time when you're out in the real world carrying like those situations that we talked about earlier. But yeah, I guess in a real world situation, if there's an active shooter in a building you're going to have time to, if you're not dead already, you're going to have time to take cover because you don't want to draw your gun anyways without seeking cover first because then you make yourself an open target if you mm-hmm. miss. So you want to seek cover first, obviously, and then you're going to have a couple seconds to unlock your, you know, your, your weapon before engaging. And you've identified,
2: If you don't seek cover first, you've identified yourself as a threat.
1: Yeah. Yep, that's why and that's why you I, be- I don't open care. Then you
2: become a target. Right. Then you yeah. become a target. Yep. You know? No, I mean
1: that's very
2: true. There's so many things, you know, and and there's just so many um and and here's an example. I mean, from another safety aspect. Children in school. Um a lot mm. of people have a lot of different viewpoints on whether teachers should carry or not carry and be allowed to or not, you know. To be a Mm -hmm. part of that first responder. And one of the biggest concerns people have is, well, what if somebody got that gun? Yeah. Okay, well, now they can, can, you know, if they did get it from that teacher, then they have a gun that's inoperable. Unless they know where the key is. Well, and there's, you know, for schools... There's a lot of different opportunities for that. You have dual, you know, you have two different locations where one thing is in the other. Because, again, as a teacher in that scenario that you're not going, you know, and somebody will argue this against me. That is, you know, but you don't need to, you, you know, you aren't going to be that person or the odds of you being that person that is going to have to be pulling the gun and pulling the trigger in a second and a half I mean, one is you probably haven't shot enough in your life to do that, um, and actually hit your target. Mm-hmm. So, as we all say, smooth—you know—smooth is slow and slow is fast.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, honestly, you've got to be. That's a really good point to bring up with the schools because there's a lot of people that talk, are talking where yeah, arm the teacher's movement kind of deal. And me personally, I agree with that sentiment where it's like, why the fuck wouldn't a teacher be able to carry if they are competent enough and are comfortable enough carrying in, a, in, a, in the schoolroom, you know? And mm-hmm. But yeah, they would have to have it on them at all times, like carrying it at all times. And that's uncomfortable for... That'd it, be very uncomfortable for a teacher that's moving around a lot and whatever else, but... You know, kids get fucking crazy and they may, maybe they notice it one day and want to grab it or ask you what the, what is that? And then you have to explain to them what it is and yada, yada, yada. But if you had it just in your drawer, in your desk drawer or something like that, an active shooter, unless they come in through your, your school room's window, then you're mm-hmm. going to have ample time to even probably grab a few more mags if you needed to, you know? So you'd have plenty of time to lo- unlock it and that gun would be hundred percent safe. In your desk drawer, but it's also ready to go within a couple seconds, I guess. So, yeah, you should and, look, and, and look into getting contracts with these states. The states that want to pass, they'd be like, hey, listen, I got it right here, dude. <laughs> you know, get some that of those set state government money.
2: Colorado is um, a state that allows school districts to choose, hmm. and I think there's. Upward of twenty six school districts that allow teachers to carry in the state of Colorado. Really? Um,
1: mm-hmm. Holy shit! I didn't know that. I because I know that Colorado is as a state is pretty much ran by Denver and Boulder. So mm-hmm. I know they're pretty getting pretty liberal in Colorado. I didn't figure they would be a state that allowed that.
2: You know, there's a lot that wouldn't, um, but I think. The thing is, is spoken right and talking to the right people. If you talk common sense and safety, people aren't afraid of guns. People are afraid of people with guns because yeah, people are. Um, most people, you know, they're they're. You can't control people like they would like you to. You yep. know, but the thing is, is when you, the more you take away freedoms or the more you give up your rights the less freedom you have. Mhm. And you know, we it, it's not the thing that needs to happen. I mean, because cop can't be there every day. Yeah. You know?
1: No, no they um, can't.
2: I mean, average response time is 15 minutes probably nationwide.
1: Mhm. And that's being you know? pretty nice. Like that's being like damn good police departments in a lot of places, you know. Mhm. Like I mean, in in a lot of places like especially the really big cities i feel like it could be even longer depending you know or most even, likely or, or is. rural Or rural areas i mean fuck like some some rural areas don't even have town cops or in they only have deputies and sometimes those counties are huge as hell and they yep. might be on the other end of the county
2: yep 100% so you have to allow people to have the right to carry it. Yeah. To protect your home, to protect your lives of your loved ones. You know, it's not the rock. I mean, you can outlaw the rock, but you're still gonna have evil. Yep. It goes back to what we started out talking about with Christianity. Yeah. You know, people ask me all the time, how do you fix this? How do we fix the country? Put God back in everything.
1: Yep. That's where it's I simple. I'm a hundred percent I it there's no other explanation, in my opinion, to explain the rise in <clears throat> gun violence. Well, it, all violence, honestly, all violence in general is on the rise. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to explain it other than it's a societal problem. It's not a. It's not a gun problem. It's not a. The the guns always been a part of American culture ever since 1776. It's always been mm-hmm. a part of being an American is being armed. It's always been there. And now we're sitting here like gun violence is out of control. We need to ban the guns. Like motherfucker. We've had guns for a long time. Why is it getting so much yeah. worse now? It's probably not the gun's fault. Yes. The gun has evolved and stuff, but you know, it hasn't, it hasn't evolved to the point where guns are making their own decisions and shooting people by themselves. They're still being pulled. The trigger is still being pulled by a person and that person is part yep. of society, and it's society's fault, in my opinion, why there's so much <clears throat> um, violence and especially gun violence. So it's our our fault as a society for a lot of things. It's a multifaceted problem. It's not. It's it. You have to be wary of the people that are trying that try to make a very complex issue so simple. And especially when it comes to giving up your rights, when it comes to that, you mm-hmm. have to be super wary because what are they going to come after next? You know, they ban the guns. Then what? What's more dangerous than guns? Then, you know, words. Okay, now they ban certain. Right. Now they ban certain speech. Now, now, now what? Well, we've already given up our guns. We've already given up. We've already been told what we can and cannot say. So, what else do we have? You know, what else do we have? Is those are two very essential parts of America. And why we are the freest, strongest, best nation. We have our flaws, but we're the best nation in the world. Let's be honest. And it's that way because of certain protections. And those are two huge ones.
2: That is. And why did you think they made the first? They wanted the first to give everybody the right to say whatever is on their mind. Mm -hmm. And well, you know why we had the second? We put the second in there because... We were giving everyone the ability to say what is ever on their yeah. mind.
1: Yep.
2: <laughs> you know, because you got to defend against it. Yep. You got to defend against the evil that is out there, and then they, you have to keep that evil at bay. And that evil is those that want to take away your freedoms. Um, there's a, a small story I'll share before we we, we start winding down. But um, Stalin, after he purged the military in the Soviet Union. Um, He was standing in this uh, uh, village and there was chickens running around and he had several of his top generals that were still there with him. And they said, okay, now that we've taken over this this vast country and we have control over everybody, how are we going to keep them um, from rising up? And Stalin walks over and he picks up this chicken and he's, this his chicken a little bit. And then he starts plucking the feathers out of his chicken and the chicken is squawking and tr- fighting and trying to get away from him. And he pulls out every feather on that chicken and he s- sets the chicken down, drops the chicken down on the ground. It's kind of bleeding and bloody and all beat up. He walks over and grabs a little bit of grain and this g- jet while he's doing that, the generals are like, what does that prove? That's what we just did. We've, You know, that's what we just done to the people. Now, how do we keep them from coming back? He goes over and he puts a little corn on the ground. And the chicken goes over and eats it. He steps back, puts a little bit more corn on the ground, and the chicken comes up to him and starts eating. He says, all we have to do is give them a little and make them think that we are the ones, and and condition them to know that we are the ones that are going to take care of them.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: they will follow us wherever.
1: Damn. Yeah, that's that's fucking brutal first of all <clears throat> but uh it's true <laughs> I mean that is true and yeah, I mean, we've seen it in just the past few years where when uh, when when the government in a broad sense when the government makes something uh, a public safety issue, we I think we all realize that we will give up a lot in order for safety we're willing for safety and comfort. We'll give up a lot. And that's one of those, it's one of those things where, uh, in America, the way it was built. And the reason why we <clears throat> became the country we are today is because of those freedoms as Americans. But one thing that was not guaranteed in the constitution, the bill of rights is safety, like we're not, well, and, and, we're not, we're not guaranteed under... safety by the government. It's just not the way it
2: is. No, one I... And it's, and, and one slight correction is for the sake of safety, people would give up a lot. No, it's for the perception of That's, safety. Yep. People gave up everything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause we never, we'll never I mean, get, we'll never get true safety. That's the thing. The The world is, yeah, it's a dangerous place out there. There's always, people are going to die no matter what, um, we're not going to live forever kind of thing. So danger is always going to be there.
2: Well, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, then I can understand why you may be afraid of dying.
1: Yeah, true. Exactly.
2: Somebody, somebody asked me that when we were writing the book, they said, well, weren't you afraid to die? And I'm like, why would I be afraid of dying? And they're like, well, you would be dead. I'm like, here's the thing. One of two things was going to happen that night when I was on the rooftop. I was going to live and get to come home and be with my family, which is phenomenal and one of the greatest things in the world. Or I was going to die and go be with the Lord, which is one of the freaking most phenomenal things in the world. Yep. It's a win win situation. Yep. But if you don't have that relationship with the Lord, then I can see why you may be fearful of that because what else you're going to run into isn't going to necessarily be the good thing.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. That, <clears throat> that's one thing. I uh, cause I went, you know, I went through a period of time, just in life in general, thinking about death and getting all freaked out. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like what's going to happen? What, what's actually going to happen? And you know, was one, um, if I didn't have such a strong, like a, such a relationship with God where it, it would probably still be eating at me today if I just mm-hmm. not knowing, but then I think about it. I'm like, man, I'll travel to fucking, uh, you know, I'll, I went to Africa like last year with Thank working you. class guys. I've never been to Africa. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what to expect, but I went there cause I was going to be an, an adventure kind of thing. So right, then I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, you know, dying isn't, I don't know anything. What's going to happen afterwards. It could be, you know, it could be going to heaven. Like I got atheists have asked me this, like, well, how do you know? Kind of thing. Well, it's faith. Yeah. Yada, yada. But at the end of the day, it's like, you do. you don't, you don't know. You don't know in the sense of I can show you how I know. Like I can prove it mathematically or scientifically. I can show you what's going to happen afterwards without actually doing it. Like you can't do that, but it is still part of. Like the, it's the the culmination of this experience as humans. It's the culminating event. So why wouldn't you be excited for the next page? You know. Of eternity. Think of it like
2: this: um, Charlie Kirk, this friend of mine, had said this, and with this kid who was atheist in front of well, some college, he was like, "Yeah, you know, I'm an atheist, and I got a question about you know this and that about Christianity and why you believe in this, that you have this faith, and why you think it is so strong." And Charlie says, "You know what? You're right." I would love to have the faith that you have. Yeah. And the guy's like, what? He says, you know, I know what's going to happen when I die. I believe and know that when I die, I'm going to go be heaven. And I'm going to, this is what it's going to be like. But you have so much faith that you believe in nothing. Mm -hmm. You believe that when you die, it's just done. And there's nothing else going on in life. There's nothing, there's no anything. And to have that kind of faith is impressive because I don't, <laughs> I couldn't have that kind of faith to believe in nothing. Yeah. And this, you could see the look on this kid's face. He never thought of it like that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You could see it going on in his brain. You could tell that he said, Holy crap. I believe in nothing. <laughs> oh, I mean, there was an epiphany happening in that guy.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, for sure. And that's what you, you know, <laughs> well, how do you, you know, that's, I just turned the question around on, and just like that, turn the question around on the atheist. So yeah. how do? why do you believe in nothing? You have the faith to believe in nothing, right?
1: Yeah. Those,
2: well, well, well <laughs> there you go.
1: Yep. Honestly, yeah, that, it is a funny f- kind of thing to point out where it's like, yeah, I guess we point it out like that. It's like atheists do have the the most faith out of any o- any other religion. And atheism is supposed to be atheism is uh, you know is supposed to be void of all religion. But at the, uh, is it really though? It's kind of believing in nothing is its own religion. Honestly, it, it, so, it
2: is. You know, it's worship like, worshiping the black hole.
1: Yeah, yep. Just it, it is what it is, kind of thing. I don't know. That's yeah. Fuck. I don't know. It's rough. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm but, glad uh, I have a. I'm glad the Lord's in my life. I can tell
1: you that. Yep. Yep. Same here, but hey. Um. So I just realized we're on almost two hours now, and you said you had like an hour. (laughs) So I'm I'm sorry I kept you so long, but we can go. Oh no,
3: hey.
1: I've
2: enjoyed it. This is great. We've got to talk about a lot of things. Yeah. Most of it revolving around God. Yeah. And advancing the advancing His kingdom, and ultimately, that's what's most important. It is.
1: It is, and also. We got to talk a little bit about GoSafe, which honestly, um, if we didn't change any minds about Christianity, then maybe we change a few minds about GoSafe. Because I came into this conversation about the product of your, you know, your product GoSafe and stuff with just being like, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it seems like maybe it work for some people, but not, not necessarily me, but I don't know, after talking to you. It does make a lot more sense um, in just daily life than I really gave it credit for personally. So I'm glad I, I'm, I'm glad I had you on and talked to me uh, more about it and kind of gave me the full view of why you guys created it and its benefits and its, and its benefits. And I hope everyone listening kind of saw that too. So I appreciate you.
2: Coming yeah. I hope on. So you know. Thank you very much. I mean, it was great being on here, getting to talk about everything. You know, and, and to anybody out there, any naysayers on Go Safe, is I ask you to do one thing. Do you want to have control over the your weapon and control of when it is safe and when it's ready? Mm-hmm. Um, this is the only device that's going to give that to you. It may not it's not for every situation all the time, but It's the right thing. It's the right product to make sure that you have control of the safety of your firearm when you have your firearm on you at all times. Mm -hmm. And and it prevents unauthorized access to your firearm. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: You know, like like we said, if it's on the counter, hey, nobody, okay, touch it. But you ain't going to do nothing with it. Right. Yeah. I did. I really enjoyed this. It was great. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Um, Honestly, I'm sure there's a lot more, a lot more stuff we could unpack if we, you know, if we, if we wanted to go on for four or five hours, we probably could have. And, but you know, time is valuable and I don't want to take up your whole evening here. So I do, I really do appreciate you coming on, Mark. I'm glad we could get together and make this happen. It's been great.
2: Hey, thank you so much again. God bless you. Yeah. Um, Stay true hunters out there keep doing it gun owners thanks for everything you do just do it right and do it safe
1: that's right and uh was there anything you wanted to plug besides go safe like i don't know if, like social media if people want to see the product websites all that kind of good stuff
2: yeah if you go to gosafenow.com um, you can check out the product you can look at it uh, feel free to go to my website markgeist.com if you have questions you can put questions to me there um or on any of my social media platforms all you have to uh, easiest way without going through them all is just google mark geist or mark Osgeist and uh um follow me where i'm going where i've been and uh we'll uh, see where the see where this journey takes us
1: absolutely well, I appreciate it, Mark. Um, I really do appreciate everything um, coming on here, talking, and also all your service for everything and everything you've been through too, and with with that, all that going on. I really appreciate you. You're a diamond in the rough, sir. I appreciate it.
2: Hey, thank you very much. God bless you all out there. Yep. Thank you.
1: All right. See you. Bye.